I'm Vicky Ward. I am the host and co-producer of Chasing Ghislaine, a docu-series currently streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, I'm also the author of a Substack newsletter called Vicky Ward Investigates. Ghislaine really could be the key to this shadowy web. I am trying to put the dots together through my reporting. You don't want to believe that a friend of yours is capable of anything that is just monstrous. She could have given the prosecutors Epstein on a platter. Ghislaine told people, my father taught me, you do whatever it takes to keep your man. Ghislaine was the kind of power geisha orchestrating everything for Epstein's maximum delight. She was chief administrator. I know that Jeffrey was selling arms. How do you know that? There's a lot of powerful men around Jeffrey Epstein. The network of guys who enabled these sex crimes, that endures. What about the tapes Epstein made to blackmail people? Does she know where they are? Delaine Maxwell may be the last person who could say what actually happened here. That is a trailer from the gripping three-part documentary series, Chasing Delaine. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week, I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week, it is my pleasure to welcome Vicki Ward, New York Times bestselling author, acclaimed journalist, television commentator, now turned filmmaker. As an investigative journalist, Vicky conducted one of the few interviews ever given by Jeffrey Epstein, disgraced financier and convicted sex offender who died under shady circumstances while being held in custody in 2019. Back in 2002, Vicky became aware of the dark secrets lurking behind Epstein's persona, but was thwarted in her attempts to raise the alarm. She has now turned her sights on Epstein's former confidant, Ghislaine Maxwell, the British socialite currently on trial for allegedly helping Epstein prey on young girls. Vicky's investigative work has been turned into a hit podcast series and now a three-part docuseries streaming on Discovery+. Vicky joins Factual America to fill us in on the latest events surrounding Ghislaine Maxwell's trial and continuing efforts to get to the bottom of this murky tale. Vicky, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's uh, it's it's our pleasure. Thank you for uh, coming on to the uh, onto the podcast. It's um, the film, as uh, our listeners, our viewers would have uh, noticed already, is is chasing Ghislaine. Uh, it's a three part special is now streaming on Discovery Plus, and there's a podcast by the same name available on Audible and other podcast platforms. So, uh, congratulations. The film uh, you released, I think, in uh, November, I guess. Uh, so, uh, I know it's been a probably been a very challenging few uh, year or two to get this film made and, uh, uh, and, and out, but so congratulations on that. Um, before we really get started, maybe uh, for our listeners, I mean, it's it's all in the news, but uh, maybe you can give us an idea just to get, get us up to speed. What is Chasing Ghislaine all about? <laughs> so, Chasing Ghislaine is yeah. really my effort to go out and re-report uh, an investigative story that I started... Um, almost 20 years ago when I was tasked by Vanity Fair magazine for whom I was working at the time um, to go and find out how this very mysterious reclusive guy in New York called Jeffrey Epstein made his money. And um, that turned into a very unpleasant experience for me. Uh, He rather infamously threatened me, threatened my unborn children. Um, I had a 
frightening pregnancy and a frightening birth as a result. And although uh, the resulting piece did show that he certainly wasn't who he claimed to be business-wise, mm. it didn't answer the question of really how he had made so much money. And also what had happened that I wasn't expecting was that um, two sisters, Maria and Annie Farmer, had uh, sort of come my way and had told me on the record stories um, they claimed of sexual abuse by Jeffrey Epstein that did put Guylaine in the room um, mm -hmm. and in one case giving a, a topless massage. And I, I say Guylaine, I'm talking about Guylaine Maxwell. Yes. I had known Guylaine Maxwell before I embarked on this investigation of Jeffrey Epstein nearly 20 years ago. I had known her casually. Mm. Like me, she grew up in England. Uh, she lived in New York. She's part of the whole kind of expat scene in New York. So I would bump into her from time to time. I didn't know her well. I wasn't a close friend. I did have friends who were close friends of hers. But I was surprised during my reporting on Jeffrey Epstein to learn that she and this man were clearly very connected. It, it still, by the end of my reporting, was not clear exactly what the nature of that relationship really was. Mm. And so many sources were a bit confused as to what it really was. So fast forward 20 years, um, mm. and I should, I should sort of add that back 20, nearly 20 years ago, the farmer's allegations about the sexual abuse and Jeffrey Epstein did not make it in to the final version of my article. I did manage finally in 2015 in another publication to write about their allegations. But obviously in the last few years, Jeffrey Epstein has become a globally known name and he is yep. known for his horrific sex crimes. Yep. The mystery of how he made such enormous wealth so that he had you know, a Boeing among his planes, an island, the biggest mansion, I believe, in New York, a home in Paris, um, a, a ranch in New Mexico, is still not clear. And what has emerged since his death are a growing list of really powerful ma men mm. who we had no idea uh, until... He had been rearrested and then died in very strange circumstances mm. before he could face his trial in jail. Um, and it suddenly emerged that along with the people we already knew about, who obviously include Prince Andrew, uh, who include Donald Trump, who include Bill Clinton, Clinton yeah. you know, other people, other very well-known financiers, Bill Gates's name emerged as somebody yeah. uh, who was hanging out with this man. Um, the financier Leon Black, um, one of America's most successful businessmen, has had to sort of step down from his company because uh, it turned out he paid Jeffrey Epstein fees of around $160 million. And so there are still all these questions about who this guy really was and what on earth drew so many important people from around the world men, not just women, men, mm. to him. And when Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, I realized that, number one, I had been sitting on all these tapes, transcripts of recorded conversations mm. that I had with Jeffrey Epstein that had never seen the light of day and that very few people had ever heard his voice and that what these transcripts, and there were 450 pages of them, really did was show how he was so incredibly manipulative because despite all the ink and there's been so much of it, so much press around him, he himself and his character and who he was and how he weaseled his way in everywhere, it, it hasn't been explained. Mm -hmm. And so when Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, I believed that if I went out and re-reported uh, this story that had begun nearly 20 mm. years ago, 
using her and trying to really mm. to try and unravel what the actual nature of her relationship to him really was, that maybe finally we could get some answers. Mm. So she was, by chasing Ghislaine, it was about chasing her. And remember that the government, the, the US government seemed to be uh, chasing her for nearly a year after Epstein's death. Uh, before she was found. Um, I mean, certainly the media was obsessed with, you know, wondering where she was. Um, and so it was really, it was the idea of this was to use her and their relationship as a way to re-report and also use the transcripts of what he had said to me and looking at the breadcrumbs that he had left for me mm see if I could answer questions that 20 years ago had, I just couldn't. Yeah. And did you, had you listened to those tapes after you, after that initial uh, very difficult six months, I think it was that you had with them back in 2002, which we won't make you relive, except it is, uh, it is yeah. uh, put, put in the documentary. So, but go ahead. Well, to, to be clear, the tapes, you're not going to believe this. Um, I either threw away or I've lost with various moves because, and the re people say, well, yeah. my God, how could you have done that? You have to remember in 2002, for, for many years, Jeffrey Epstein was not somebody who right. the, the media cared about, even when he was arrested and went to jail the first time in Florida. It was a very local Florida story. He wasn't somebody who was written about. Um, all that changed once that picture of Prince Andrew with right. his arm around the waist of Virginia Roberts, Guillermo. That <laughs> Prince Andrew's celebrity is ultimately actually what 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 turned Jeffrey Epstein and Guillermo mm. Maxwell into household names. Mm. Um, but but what I do have is the. Um, Back then, we used little micro cassettes, you know, old-fashioned mm -hmm. recorders. Yeah. And so a professional transcription service was sent all the micro cassettes. Right. So we have, they then emailed me and Vanity Fair back their transcriptions of the, um, of, the, of the cassettes. So that is what I have. And the answer to your question is, no, it was such a deeply, deeply, deeply unpleasant experience. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had such a horrific experience reporting before or since that and because it became so personal for me and because it became so wound up in the birth of my children who were born very prematurely and I had to place mm. guards on them and the rest of it I had not wanted to address the topic of Jeffrey Epstein again over the years people had asked me did I want to write a book the answer was no um, but that was obviously before um, the scope mm. of his sex crimes, which I had abs absolutely no idea of in 2002. I knew about the mm. farmers. I had no idea about mm. recruiting trips, hunt school girls. I mean, right, none, right. None, none of that was obvious. So I did think that after that, that had emerged and then he'd gone to jail and denied that, uh, and denied. And by the time Ghislaine was arrested, I did think it is time to go back and look. And I realized um, with the benefit of distance and, mm -hmm. you know, knowing, knowing in a way that, you know, he's dead and that he's gonna be hard for him to, to deliver on all his threats while mm -hmm. dead. Um, that um, I realized that he had, you know, he was a narcissist and like all narcissists, mm -hmm. he couldn't help boasting. And so whilst he had told me a lot of lies, he had also told me some truths. And, um, and I was also able to see how cleverly he had been able to zero in on my one sort of Achilles heel at the time. My Achilles heel, my vulnerability was the fact that I had a high-risk pregnancy with twins. Mm. And when you're pregnant like that, you don't want somebody asking you about 
your hospitals mm. and your doctors and telling you they're going to have a witch doctor place a curse on your unborn children and mm. telling you they can get your husband fired from their job, his job and that they've got a dossier. You know, you're particularly mm. susceptible. And I realised all these years later that it was incredibly clever of him to have realized that the one thing that would really put me on my back foot was to keep talking about my pregnancy or, or threaten my home secure, you know, mm. at, at a time. And I then realized, well, if he was able to do that with me, and I was, you know, a 33-year-old journalist, but I'm a pretty tough reporter, mm -hmm. um, that, no, you know, I could see how certainly young girls wouldn't have a prayer against him. But I could also see, and I began to talk, you know, I began to report among some of the men who obviously requested anonymity, who had, mm. who are well known, who had been in his circle. And they said the same thing back to me, which is, you know, I was like, how, how could you not have seen him for what he was? And they said he, he had this extraordinary skill of just being able to size people up, everybody up very, very fast and immediately zero in mm. on whatever it was that, that he could clearly see what that person needed, what that person was afraid of. Mm -hmm. And he played that to his advantage very brilliantly. He was an absolutely masterful manipulator. Mm. And I think that that's what these transcripts really show. I mean, at the risk of sounding hyperbolic it is a bit like Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling yeah. <laughs> I mean you know when he talked to me yeah. about vaginal canal nobody's talked to me about my vaginal canal you know I mean it's just it, what it what it does and I was reminded of this in court yesterday when Annie Farmer was explaining how she had the weekend from hell basically Mm. with Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell when she was 16. And the defense said, well, come on, nothing that bad happened. And she said, actually, what they were doing was making me question my boundaries, what was normal, what was not mm. normal. And that's exactly what I felt when he talked to me about my body. It was yeah. so completely inappropriate. Yeah. I mean, you... Uh... Wow, I mean, where do, where do we begin? There's, I mean, it's, it's so much, it's so much there. And you obviously said, I mean, unwittingly, you all those you know twenty years ago almost uh, had these incredible insights, not knowing at the time what it was like to be having to interact with with Jeffrey Epstein and and the tactics he would take. Um, I mean, you mentioned uh, you know seeing in court. Uh, for our listeners, we're we're uh, recording this on a uh, on a weekend. We don't usually record a weekend because uh, uh, Vicky's in uh, in court every week, uh, every weekday. Uh, because uh, Glenn Glenn uh, Maxwell is uh, obviously her trial's happening right now. Um, I mean, that must have been you mentioned Annie Farmer because I know it's been a very difficult f one for you. It comes up in the documentary as well because yeah. you you tr you went to bat for them. Um, it's I think you very uh, even-handedly presented actually in the doc uh, with you because obviously uh, Vanity Fair and editors have made comments statements in the past and you play those statements, but uh, obviously Vanity Fair squashed that you know quashed that uh, attempt to right. in the story. But uh, now she's in the. I mean, what's that been like for you? Because now you're you're reliving this yet again, and now I mean, for you, and also what's in terms of what what you're seeing in the uh, in the trial that's ongoing. Um, maybe we can start with that moment with Annie Annie Farmer yesterday. Yeah, well, so you know, my uh, you know my relationship with Annie Farmer has always been a much more straightforward relationship than than with my sister Maria, mm -hmm. and. Um, and Annie Farmer has, you know, she, you know, I, I've said this when I'm, what I've written. Um, she, she presented in court yesterday exactly as I thought she would. Even 20 years ago when she was a student at Penn University, mm. um, she was clearly very bright, mm. very 
cool, mature, mature beyond her years. And um, when she told me her story all those years ago, um, she was able to, to tell it in a very calm, um, detailed way. I didn't know until yesterday um, mm -hmm. that she, that one of the reasons her details had remained so consistent over the years. And she is remarkable in that her narrative uh, of what she told me, you know, has stayed exactly the mm. same mm. Uh, over 20 years. So, so, you know, I mean, given that Ghislaine Maxwell's defense team has that their main tactic has been to uh, really point out the inconsistencies in the other three accusers' testimonies between what they've said in the past mm. or haven't said and what they're saying now. Any farmer, it's really difficult to... Um, question her credibility because she just, she has just said, told the same horrible story again mm. and again and again. And she has never, never changed any of the facts. And, um, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was really proud of her actually. I mean, mm. you know, I'm a journalist, I'm there to report, mm. but in the afternoon she got, such a drilling, you know, uh, Laura Menninger, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, defense lawyer, is a very, very, very good lawyer. Um, uh, and uh, she really um, was aggressive about questioning whether, in fact, you know, I mean, she was trying to sort of say that Annie Farmer had exaggerated um, mm -hmm. what happened with, between her and Jeffrey Epstein and certainly exaggerated what happened between her and Ghislaine Maxwell. And I watched Annie Farmer's lawyer, who was sitting behind me, put her hand up uh, sort of to her, the bottom of her throat, you know, cl clearly getting deeply concerned as to whether her yeah. client was going to burst into tears and break down yeah. on the stand. And, um, and you could have heard a pin drop in that courtroom. It was so tense. And yeah. Annie Farmer not only didn't breakdown mm. she managed somehow <laughs> to smile at Laura Menninger it was an extraordinary you know she wasn't going to be broken wow. it was extraordinarily powerful yeah I mean, as a journalist and sitting in there, and then you you see how the trial's being reported. I mean, what what has struck you so besides a moment like this? What has struck you most about the trial, and what is not getting reported that maybe we should know about in terms of what's ha transpired so far in this in this trial? Well, <clears throat> the first of all, as you mentioned earlier. The, yeah. the prosecution has rested at least a week earlier yeah. than they had suggested. And they have unquestionably been, um, they have made some mistakes. Mm. And at least three times now, uh, the judge, not in front of the jury, but in front of us journalists and the public, has told the prosecutors who are very young Oh, gosh. Very inexperienced. Uh, they're led by James Comey, former head of the uh, FBI, his daughter Maureen, who is, mm. I have to say increasingly, she is increasingly impressive. But this judge has told them three times by my count that they should have presented evidence and witnesses differently from the way they have done. And there was a mistake made um, Earlier in the week, the first accuser, Jane, who is the witness, who is the only accuser who really um, could have anything to do with the, the two counts of trafficking because she's the only person right. who there's any suggestion was on a plane underage uh, with, with both Guillaume Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Her brother was supposed to be called by the government, but it emerged... Um, earlier on in the week, um, that the brother and his sister had had a conversation, which they're not supposed to do, about her testimony. And furthermore, 
that in that conversation, Jane, the pseudonym for accuser number one, had described Laura Menninger, the defense lawyer who had cross-examined her as a quote unquote word that rhymes with front. Okay. And um, the, the judge told the prosecution, well, you know, you're going to let me know if you want to call this witness or not. But obviously, if I will allow a brother to be cross-examined and then she, he, he will have to be asked about what he said in this conversation and it is not, right. going, to play, not going to play well. And in the end, yeah. the government decided not to call him. I think, that, you know, the, what has happened is you've got four accusers hmm. and the two of them, the judge has already instructed the jury can be not be considered uh, that anything illegal happened. So that's two out of, they're, they're just considered, you could, the judge, jury's been told you can consider them for the relevance of their testimony, but not that anything illegal happened here because this is because Annie Farmer is one of them because in New Mexico, where she says something happened, 16 is the age of consent. The British accuser, Mm. was 17, which was the, is the age of consent in London, which mm. is where she... So those two women, um, already the judge has instructed the jury that you can listen to what they say, but remember nothing that they, they speak of is illegal. So you're down to two other accusers, and it's basically their word against mm. what the defence says. And the defence has done a very... Um, strong job of highlighting inconsistencies in their story, you know, and, and the most notable one, using, for example, in Jane, accuser number one story, the fact that she actually denied in recent statements to the FBI. So this is not going back 18 years ago, 20 years ago. This is mm. going back in the last two years. She told the FBI that Ghislaine Maxwell had never touched her that Glenn Maxwell had never been in the room with her. So mm. these are recent statements. And what the government is, is their case, they're saying is about memory manipulation. And they're suggesting that these women's memories have been manipulated uh, because of money, self manipulated by lawyers, civil lawyers who became very interested in getting mm. a chunk of Jeffrey Epstein's money after he died. Yeah. And the, the problem as I see it in court, if you were a juror, is that we keep hearing about Jeffrey Epstein and he's dead. Right. So, and then there are other names along with Ghislaine Maxwell of two, two women in particular keep being talked about by witnesses again and again and again. And their names are Virginia Roberts, who's famous in Britain because she's the one who's, who's currently right. accusing Prince Andrew, right, of sexual right abuse in, uh, in, the, in the federal court in America. And um, Sarah Kellen, who was an assistant of Jeffrey Epstein's. And, and so if the jury keeps hearing about allegations that these two women phoned them up and brought them over to Jeffrey Epstein's house, but these two women have not been called by the prosecution, who must be wondering mm. why. Um, and you, you, uh, and as, the, as a journalist who knows a great deal about this story at this point, it strikes me that what has been shown to the jury is a very narrow mm. picture of... Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine's Maxwell, which remain, that the, and the nature of their relationship, now I've heard all the government testimony, is still as confusing to me as it was 20 years ago. Um, and you don't, you, 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 there, you're left with a lot of questions about, well, if Jeffrey, it's very clear from the picture that's been painted that Jeffrey Epstein was a sick, horrible, abusive man who manipulated children. And yeah. uh, that he also, that there's been mentioned just, you know, passing mention of the fact that yet, and yet he was flying on his planes along with children 
Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, the musician Itzhak Perelman, um, uh, businessmen, Henry, you know, a guy called Henry Jarecki was mentioned that he had a photograph of Jeffrey Epstein with the Pope. He had a photograph of himself with Fidel Castro. And if you were a juror, you must be a bit, conf- I mean, it's confusing. Mm. And where, and, and as to the question of where Ghislaine Maxwell fits in to this system, where she fits in with Virginia Roberts and Sarah Kellen, the two women who keep being mentioned and yet who, we, who, who no one has heard from, is confusing. And so I think that is why um, the reaction so far is, you know, from the media, but remember, it's, we're not the jurors. Right. Um, but the media are puzzled mm. as to why the government didn't call Virginia Roberts and uh, Sarah Kellen and why they didn't present a stronger case. Mm. That, you know, we will see. May, you know, obviously, we are not the jury. Yeah. Um, more on that in a second. I think this takes us to a good point to offer our uh, listeners a break. So we'll be right back with uh, Vicki Ward. The uh, film is uh, Chasing Ghislaine. Three-part special is streaming now on Discovery+. Plus, and you can also listen to her podcast of the same name on Audible and other platforms. If you enjoy Factual America, check out the Movie Maker podcast. That's all one word, Movie Maker where our friends at MovieMaker.com interview everyone from filmmakers just breaking in to A-listers like David Fincher and Edgar Wright about their movie-making secrets and behind-the-scenes tricks of the trade. They go deep and let the guests speak uninterrupted to get you the most film insight. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with acclaimed journalist turned filmmaker Vicky Ward. Uh, Chasing Ghislaine is the film. Three-part special is now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. And do give her podcast a listen. It's the same name. It's available on Audible and other platforms. So we were, we were just talking about the trial. Um, this puzzling, let's be honest, weak case that the prosecution has seemingly uh, presented. Um... Any, I mean, I think you've kind of touched on this, but any idea why they've done that? I mean, or is it just all you can do is scratch your head? Well, look, according to my reporting, uh, you know, I've spoken to various legal experts uh, around this, various lawyers who who have been um, involved with this case, um, you know, according to, you know, so these sources, um, obviously it, it is problem. It is very problematic for the government that Jeffrey Epstein, the sort of great elephant in the room, right. Never got tried. Mm. Uh, and, um, and further, um, because Virginia Roberts and Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Roberts and Ghislaine Maxwell have previously been involved in civil litigation, there is a view among mm. uh, former, uh, other former assistant U.S. attorneys who I've spoken to that the government wouldn't want to bring Virginia Roberts because um, it would be a big red herring, a big distract. Mm. You know, the defense team, Glenn Maxwell's defense team, are the same lawyers who were involved in the civil actions. So, so they know a very great deal about mm. Virginia Roberts, and that this the whole the risk if you bring her. This, you know, according to David Weinstein, who's a, a former assistant U.S. attorney in Miami. Mm is that um, the, tr- the risk you run is that a trial that is meant to be about something quite simple, you know, did, yeah. did Ghislaine Maxwell help Jeffrey Epstein abuse and traffic 
minors uh, could turn into a sideshow mm. um, about a, a battle that has been quite public between two women who we already know have, have been battling this out, and it, it, it could it could end up not not being mm. helpful. Um, so you know that there, there are you know I mean nobody is suggesting that this team of prosecutors are um, incompetent or anything. No, 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 no. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but 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 the you know I think that there are again among the sort of law the lawyers a lot of the lawyers who I've spoken to who have mm. either worked at, previously at the Southern District or been assistant U.S. attorneys elsewhere that, that there is unquestionably when Jeffrey Epstein didn't face trial because of a very of death in a very bizarre circumstances the government you know i you know public sentiment in in the united states was furious furious mm. so i you know it, i think the government had to do something mm. um but but the fact that the main proponent of these crimes really is 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 dead i think i think has you know, we, we, it remains to be seen. It has co- it has complicated things. Mm. Uh, I mean, for the, for the prosecution. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting of a, a, a couple things, um, uh, more than a couple things, but especially, I, I mean, your film presages this. Actually, I mean, you you do talk in episode three towards the end about. Uh, I think a lot of people are 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 kind of don't think there's any way Glenn's going to get, you know, um, get found. Uh, Innocent. I know that you know we don't have a we don't know what the jury's going to decide. But uh, you talk about how her brothers are fighting hard. It's kind of a Maxwell trait to do everything they can to make sure that she can um, at least has a fighting chance. I guess is the way they would would look at it. Um, so there's that element. You've you know this maybe this is not that surprising. But then you pose this simple question, and may I ask you? I mean, what is if you were a juror, I mean, what knowing what you know, uh, forget about what the prosecution's presented or not presented. What, knowing what you know, I mean, do you think the answer is yes? She is guilty of these of these things. What having seen, having uh, been, uh, well, a, a, you know, in, so I, I will push back on that only because the judge has instructed the jurors very clearly to now wait for the defense to present its case and keep it okay. and keep it in mind. Okay, and, and okay. The fair enough. Has, and, and I, I'm curious, you know, the defense is now suggesting that they've got people who have phoned and want to testify, and mm. they've got people who've told, phoned and want to testify under a pseudonym. Um, so that's pretty, if the judge lets that happen and that happens, that's going to be fairly interesting. Mm. Uh, my, my, you know, look, I, look, what's become clearer and clearer as the evidence has been presented is that uh, he was a very sick, mm. um, but very clever mm. um, guy, and uh, you know, some. I mean, he didn't, and and, and um, you know, one of the stories that um, you know, I'm sure the defence is going to lean into over time is that. It, it does seem obvious that at some point Gillen Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein were romantically involved, which, mm. uh, to be honest, I wasn't sure of uh, during right. my previous reporting. It, it yeah. actually wasn't that clear. It was clear that she idolised him. It wasn't clear. That, well, he was, yeah, he was at pains to make it sound like it definitely wasn't. Yeah, no, there uh, wasn't. It, 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 yeah. And I couldn't... He had told me she didn't work for him. Well, we learnt, we learnt in the last two weeks that certainly from the, from the point of view of his two pilots... She worked extremely hard for him. She ran yeah, all his yeah. properties. She did. Yeah. He, she decorated the pl- planes. I mean, and um, <clears throat> but at the same time, as uh, it seemed, they were supposed to be sharing a bedroom in Palm Beach. At least they didn't live together in New York. He would bring other women, uh, yeah. and when they came to stay, he would make sure that the the butler, the house manager, had removed all photographs of Gillen Maxwell, and so. Uh, the, so you know, the, you know, I still am bewildered um, as to what 
you know, why she wanted to hang around this man. Um, mm. at the, but at the same time, you're left wondering, well, why did Bill Clinton want to hang around him? Well, why did all these, why did it, you know, I mean, what, what was it? So, um, um, you know, I think, and, and I'm sure what the, what the defense is going to do in their case is say that, because they've already sort of hinted at this in opening argument, that there was a lot about him that even she mm. didn't know, that he hid quite deliberately from her, other girlfriends who were of age, um, included. Um, so, you, you know, and, and the other thing that, um, you know, I have found, you know, I was hoping that the trial would shed light on the money, on mm. um, how, where he made his money, what, you know, what he was yeah. doing when he wasn't having massages. Mm. Uh, and, you know, clearly that's <laughs> that's that, that's not going to come up and you know yeah. even when flight dogs were presented he seemed to fly from each of his homes all the time you know you, you couldn't look at a trip and go oh yes so you know he was doing business with he was doing business in africa as i you know which yeah. is something talked about and i talk about that in my documentary series um you know he remains he remains a a mystery mm. Well, I think, so, a, a, a few things on that. I mean, I think you said earlier, I mean, in that whole horrible weekend that uh, Annie Farmer had to spend in, I think, New Mexico, uh, I mean, it was all about what he was doing was, I mean, pushing boundaries seems, seems too light of a way of describing it. But it was it was finding people's weak points and making people do things they wouldn't normally do or ever think about doing. And it, it's, I guess... We can also say it's like sort of a form of, of torture um, and certainly of abuse. But um, so it so that's obviously whatever did or didn't exactly happen with Ghislaine Maxwell. He did he managed that with her, um, didn't he? Um, and so uh, so obviously she was you know something in her, and I think the film goes is very good about going into. Uh, her background, the history, the Maxwells, and what might or might not have been happening in terms of her, like you said, why the hell was she hanging out with this guy? Um, but then it also gets to this point where, I mean, the thing they think that comes out in your in your film, um, in the three episodes, which documents so much about, like you said, especially getting into the so the money side, is that there's still this, what, what feels to me is that there's so much of the story we don't know and what is really the story is that is the story is trying to get to the to the roots of what is actually the reality here yeah so look this is a story of mystery being compounded on mystery beginning if you like with the mystery of robert maxwell's death in 1991 um people debate still as to how and why he was really uh, found dead, you know, floating mm. in the water, you know, fall, having fallen from his uh, yacht, the Lady Galen. And um, there have, you know, as, as I report in the documentary series, um, there are people who claim that Robert Maxwell knew Jeffrey Epstein, that Jeffrey Epstein himself had bragged to people mm. that he was well, helping Robert Maxwell, quote unquote, restructure his debt mm. at the end of his life. And of course, the reason that's significant is, you know, as we know, after Robert Maxwell died, it was discovered that he had stolen hundreds of millions of pounds from um, the pension funds of his employees right. and then Galen's brothers, Kevin and Ian Maxwell, um, were put on trial, charged with helping their father in the Old Bailey, and, and they, they got, were acquitted. Um, nonetheless, the Maxwell family, Maxwell's children, um, were very definitely um, supposed to appear as if they had no money um, after all of this, because 
uh, everything that they had ought to have gone to try and make these the, the, the victims of Maxwell's financial crimes whole. But of course, there is there is in the documentary series the suggestion that maybe Robert Maxwell trusted Jeffrey Epstein um, with some of the hidden Maxwell money. Uh, maybe Jeffrey Epstein was already somebody who was very good at hiding Europeans' money for them. Maybe Jeffrey Epstein, um, like Robert Maxwell, um, was involved in working um, for the Israelis in some sort of, I wouldn't call it espionage, but let's call it an influence campaign. Mm -hmm. There are all these, and, and although, you know, I try very hard to say, well, other people say this isn't true. The fact that there's this big black hole, there is still this question mark as to when Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein actually met. There mm. are people who say that her father introduced them and wanted them to get married. There are other people who say, no, it was definitely 1991. But nobody, not even her family, can say for sure mm. who introduced them. Not even her closest friends. I mean, most people, when you're a close friend or a sibling and so you're, you're you know, you know how two people who spend at least a decade of their life in some very close relationship, whatever it was, you tend to know how they met. Yeah. So the fact we don't even know the answer to that question leaves room for um, a lot of people to claim a lot of things. The fact that Jeffrey Epstein was a liar doesn't help either. So, and that we're now, because he's dead, we're hearing these things secondhand. So I try to explain to the viewers, these three people say this. Now, remember that they could be problematic sources and sort of just, and, and try and let the viewer make up their own mind. But it is an extraordinary puzzle. It's like the, a jigsaw puzzle that just is sort of impossible to finish. And I think the other thing that you were sort of about to point out that is really worth remembering is that the parallels between Robert Maxwell and Jeffrey yep. Epstein are eer eerily similar. Mm. Um, now, as far as we know, there's no suggestion at all that Robert Maxwell was interested in abusing underage girls. Right. Um, yeah. But he was an abusive, cruel man uh, who was certainly cruel to his wife yeah. and certainly che cheated on her a, a very great deal. Mm. He was cruel to his children um, and you know he was a tyrant um, and yet rather like Jeffrey Epstein if he wanted to charm you um, he was someone of great charisma and just like Jeffrey Epstein he was somebody who moved very easily and in fact far more publicly than Jeffrey Epstein did between the heads of various governments and regimes mm -hmm around the world. And just like Jeffrey Epstein, he was hugely interested in science. His mm. um, publishing um, uh, right. company, the Pergamon Press, published scientific journals, which was one of the reasons, it was very clever, it's one of the reasons that so many political leaders were interested in meeting with him and knowing what his, his publishing company was publishing, because obviously, you know, knowing what various countries, cutting edge scientists are doing in terms of development, whether it's the arms or whatever, it's, it's hugely important. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that Jeffrey Epstein cultivated scientists and academics. Well, that was something that Robert Maxwell did. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, uh, I, I must say, I'm not, I'm not normally a, uh, your conspiracy theorist type, and you're very upfront too in the film. Uh, there's a few on there that you say prone yeah. to conspiracies, but uh, yeah. um, I forget it's your arms dealer guy. I forget his name, but uh, uh, but what it is is this film is like all good docs. I mean, it's about so much more than just. I mean, it is about Epstein and Maxwell. I mean, Maxwell meaning both uh, Glenn and, uh, and Robert, but uh, these powerful network and forces that are at work, finance, political power, arms dealing, as I mentioned, Mossad is discussed, you know, the uh, Israeli intelligence uh, 
service, right. whatever they are. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a far murkier, t- murkier tale than we will, we were ever led to believe. I think even just a few yeah. years ago. Well, and do you think we'll ever get to the root of it? <laughs> well, look. Or are you trying to? I mean, are you, you're going to continue yes, to. I, yes, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to let this go. Um, the, the, the good news is that there are other. Um, that there is other litigation mm. um, that is headed for, for the courtroom uh, as of now, headed for trial. Um, that does look more closely at the men around Epstein, that does mm. look more closely at the money trail. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the case, you know, David Boys, mm. very famous uh, trial lawyer here in America, yeah. and Alan Dershowitz, also a very famous lawyer, are... Uh, locked in a legal battle against each other to try to get each other disbarred. Um, and that is headed to trial as of now, I believe, next year. And um, I know that Dershowitz is certainly to hope get get Leslie Wexner, who was okay. one of Epstein's biggest benefactors, right. um, on the stand. So that is a case where I think we could potentially learn a lot more. Um, okay. There is also the, the U.S. Virgin Islands case, mm. who are suing the Epstein estate, okay. is really hotting up, according to my sources. And, you know, Leon Black, the financier I mentioned earlier, has certainly been subpoenaed for that. So I think that that case is all about the money. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, two years ago, people rather were dismissive of, you know, the U.S. Virgin Islands, but I, my sources say to watch that one very closely. And okay. then, of course, you have Virginia Roberts suing, right. uh, not just Dershowitz, who's, I think, counter-suing her, but you also have um, Virginia Roberts and Prince Andrew headed to court in, in January. So there are, and, you know, when Epstein was indicted, it it was very clear the indictment talked about a conspiracy mm. and it seems very clear from Glenn Maxwell's trial that she was not the only person. She was not the only tool in his toolbox. Yeah. And so the question is, are there going to be more arrests, other people who helped in his sex trafficking enterprise? We shall see. It's not impossible. Hmm. I think, um, no, I, I think, that's a well. We can. We'll. We'll. With your guidance there, we will certainly be paying attention to those those cases and trials. It would be good to um, get to the root of this. I mean, as as I didn't even mention, um, but it is in your doc. I mean, even potentially uh, the FBI and other U.S. agencies are implicated as well because it's uh, acknowledged that it wasn't just. Mossad and others that Epstein had yeah. had dealing. I, I like that uh, term. It was this. He was a hyper. Hyperfixer. Hyperfixer. Some, yes. Someone who can move yeah. between cultures and countries in a way that most people can't, particularly say in the Middle East. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there and most most people like that remain very firmly in the shadows, but they yes. do exist. They're very valuable in the intelligence community. Well, and I think this is very insightful about that whole whole world. To be honest, um, I mean, in terms of doing this, uh, turning investigative uh, journalism into the podcast now, the docu series. I mean, what's been the main challenge? I mean, Jeffrey Epstein is now dead, but have you felt? Are you worried? Because um, you, you are asking a lot of questions and trying to right. uh, shine a light under these some of these murky areas. Does that cause? Yeah cause you only your own personal concern no actually one of the the um real great joys for me for of learning how to both podcast and then make a mm. you know doc series for the for the first time having been a yeah. you know lone wolf for most of my career you know i've written yeah. my book yeah. but you know I, I tend to do a lot of this reporting um by myself 
And mm. the great joy is, as you will know, of when you are podcasting, you need you need somebody to help with. <laughs> you know, you're not you're not. It, you can't work mm. the, the equipment. You have to upload your mm. interview immediately to a shared file. The same with the documentary series. You're not. You're filming. So even if I'm on Zoom mm. by myself, the film is being recorded and it's immediately accessible to somebody yep. else. So, you know, information shared mm. is a huge security blanket. What I have right. found more mm. troubling in the past is if I am reporting, you know, particularly with my books, it's a long time for just me to be sitting on information that is just on my mm. computer. That's when I feel sometimes vulnerable mm. because... I haven't, I haven't yet got to the point where I've written the book, so I haven't shared it um, with editors or whatever. But no, one, once you've, I feel that I've shared the information, then what, why would it be in anyone's interest to, to target me? I mean, there, there was one moment during the making of the podcast where my colleagues at Audible said, we're wondering if your computer's been hacked. Interesting. Uh, and if we should protect it. And then we read... And then they were like, but you know, we figured it was probably, if, you know, whichever government is interested probably re has, been, has been reading this for months by now anyway. That's interesting. I mean, I think yeah. even one of your interviews says the exact same thing, that the worst thing is to be the only one that has some of this yeah. knowledge because that makes yeah. you the target, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So is this something you're going to continue on doing, you think, turning... Uh, your journalism and research yes. and into podcasts yes. and then maybe yes, then we are, we are, we are, uh, we're already, we're already into project number two. So mm. I think it's, um, you know, now I've just started my Substack column, which is a new mm. way for me to write because it's, my, it's a newsletter that, that is shorter than I normally do. But it all, the idea is that all of these things can work in synergy each other and what I have found very interesting is to learn that you know writing for the ear is different from writing for a reader um there was a point in the making of the audible podcast halfway through where we got a new producer who told me to rip the whole thing up and start again and I was quite unamused but I did by the end I realized that she was entirely right mm. and um again Telling, you know, telling a story for a documentary is much different. Um, yeah. you, have, you know, you have to think so, so much differently about the impact of the visuals. And, um, and but I think the, the great thing about the era that we live in, you know, the sort of new world of the media is that we, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's very fr liberating for journalists. Mm -hmm like me and like you it's very yeah. it's very liberating because i think it, we're freed up to perhaps give the public more access to what we were doing mm. rather than just be constrained by one one story and one narrative that's a, I think it's a very good point also i guess you're going straight out to the public you uh i mean we've i'm sure you've worked with great editors i have too but sometimes yeah. Sometimes uh, it's it's nice to be able to get straight to the public with the story rather than uh, having to push it through a certain yeah, exactly. well, editorial stance, whatever it may be. So um, no, it's a very um, liberating and uh, yeah, certainly, and we see it with documentary filmmaking too. It it, it things have become much more accessible. So people who yeah. years ago, you know different backgrounds and everything. We never had a hope of getting a film out there are now getting them out there. And it's great because we're getting news, these stories from all these different perspectives we didn't have before. So, um, um, I, it's hard to believe it's gone, it's gone by very, very quickly, but I think we're coming to the end of our time. I just was going to, um, so you've said you got this next project going on. Um, and I, did you want to say anything more about that? Can you say any more about what this, this, this new project's going to be? Uh, well, I think it's publicly known, yes. We, I've been down in South Carolina a bit. There's a fascinating sort of gothic murder mystery down there. Oh, wow. A very prominent family 
you pronounce it Murdoch, but you spell it Murdoch, M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. A family of lawyers in the low country of South Carolina Mm. who for generations have um, wielded enormous power because the patriarchs um, have been what they call the solicitor, which is like being the attorney general. So mm-hmm. very much in charge of, of, in charge of the courts and very much in charge of the uh, legal system down there. And they also at the same time have had their own law firm that has made a fortune um, from personal injuries. Suffice it to say that a whole series of tragic events in the last uh, six or seven years involving an unsolved, well, a, a death of a teenager uh, by a roadside that's been reopened, really tragic death in a uh, boat late at night uh, two or three years ago, has, and now um, a brutal murder on the hunting estate of this family, of the, uh, the, a mother and a, uh, her son in her 20s that is unsolved, uh, have all culminated in uh, a great sort of gothic mystery, not just about the murders, but about the nature of power in the mm. South. Interesting. Uh, which, um, you know, has long been fodder for better writers than me, such as <laughs> William Faulkner. But, <laughs> but, but, um, but this is one of those stories that you, uh, it, it ought to be a novel, but it's actually true. So wow. that, that is what is coming next. And do you have an idea roughly about when that might be coming out? No, not yet. Not yet. We have, no, we have a long way to go. Okay, well, my father's originally from South Carolina, so I'm, I'm very, will be very keen to, uh, it's a rich, uh, it's, there's, Plenty of stories you could be telling about about that state. I, I know that for, for sure. Um, well, before we go, I guess one last thing, going back to the, the film we've been discussing uh, and your work with uh, Chase and Glenn. Um, what, do you want your, what do you want the legacy of this to be, of the, of the docuseries and the, and the podcast that you've done? Well, you know, I, would, I, I wish... That, you know, I, I want to keep going and I want to solve the jigsaw puzzle. But I do think that the, um, you know, again, just like the other story I was telling you about in South Carolina, what this is about mm. is power. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's power and corruption and, and this extraordinary abuse of power yeah. that has gone on sort of from within the from within the elite. And really what I want to do, and I'm not finished yet, I don't think this trial is is going to do it, is explode that. Because there are, you know, this this trial is all about the women. But Jeffrey Epstein, you know, and as I said to you, I think I said Ghislaine was a useful tool, Mm -hmm. as were clearly other women whose names have been brought up. But the actual toolbox was created yes. by men, was created by men, mm. men who paid Jeffrey Epstein for whatever reason, yeah. and who welcomed him, or they were welcomed into his homes, and that is the root of the problem. And what I want the legacy to be is that that root needs to be pulled up yeah. and seen for what it is, and never put back into the ground again. Mm. And I feel like we're just at the beginning of this story. And that, right. and that's, yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Vicki. We really, really appreciate you uh, spending some of your Saturday with us here at Factual America. Thank you again. It's uh, Films Chasing Ghislaine, the three-part special streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. And do give her podcast a listen. It's got the same name. And that's available on Audible and other platforms. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. In 1991, it didn't seem that Ghislaine fit the type that Jeffrey favoured. She is the exact opposite of the kind of woman that Jeffrey typically liked in that she didn't need to be moulded by him at all. She was far more worldly 
She had a much more extensive Rolodex than he did. I'd like to give a shout-out to Sam and Joe Graves at Intersound Audio in Eskrik, England, in deepest, darkest Yorkshire. A big thanks to Nevin Apanovich, podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas. You can reach out to us on YouTube, social media, or directly by going to our website, www.factualamerica.com and clicking on the Get In Touch link. And as always, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.